Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we're going to have a recorded show, so although we won't take phone calls, if you have questions, you can certainly send them to the station and we will get back to you with some information if we can. I'm here in the studio with Dr. Robert Sloan. He is a physical medicine and rehabilitation expert, and we're going to talk about a very important topic that you might be hearing about in the news. It is now sports season for a lot of our local high schools and for places on the mainland, and it's certainly Monday night football time. And what are some of the risks of head trauma? What can that do? What are some of the ways we can prevent it? And what's the latest update and what's going on in trying to prevent things like concussions right here in the islands? Well, you can certainly listen in and we'll have some more information hopefully to share with you and very important information for any of you who have young children, friends or family or loved ones that are playing contact sports. So, Dr. Sloan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me back again, Kathy, for this update on concussions, my favorite subject. Well, it is, and I'm glad it's your favorite subject because I think it's often something that we don't appreciate is that it doesn't take a lot to cause a concussion. Now, we've had you on before, and we went over a couple of facts, like some myth-busting of concussions. So I thought we could start there just to kind of give an overall review. Okay, so I'm going to say a statement, and you tell me, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, or yep, you're on it. All right. So first of all, concussions have to be associated with loss of consciousness. Absolutely not. And why is that? What are the other mechanisms where someone could get a concussion? Because most people think, I didn't pass out, I should be fine, but they're, they're wrong. Yeah, you know, concussions are brain injuries. They're the least severe of the brain injuries. They, they don't include uh, bruises and bleeding on the brain, but they are very serious. And we're finding more and more now that they're more serious than we ever thought, even what are called subconcussive blows. So it, a concussion that obviously leads to symptoms, headache, dizziness, that kind of thing is always serious. But now we're finding even these uh, repetitive impacts, even during practice, are actually important and can cause chronic traumatic brain injury. So we'll talk about that in just a sec. All concussions require some type of trauma, physical trauma, head trauma, or hitting hitting something. Yes, impact uh, only has to occur to the body or the head and cause the head to move, and then the brain switches and bounces around inside, and that can cause a concussion. So it doesn't necessarily have to just be that you hit your head. Right, exactly. In fact, You could just jolt your body. Yeah, in car accidents where patients have neck injuries, they often are associated with a concussion that is often missed. Because they have neck pain? Because they don't realize... It's, it's mainly they didn't lose consciousness, they're, they're not worried about it. How could we miss that? Well, sometimes the neck is, as you said, so much pain from a neck fracture for that, you know, or maybe a herniated disc causing a pinched nerve that people disregard the symptoms of headache. They may think that uh, it was due to the, to the neck, but it could have actually been due to a concussion. All right. So let's talk a little bit about our first statement that you don't necessarily need to lose consciousness. You can actually just have a jolt to your body and jolt your brain and have that cause a concussion. If if you're an individual who's out there in the community playing a sport or have this type of an injury, are there any physical symptoms you would notice in yourself? 
You know, it often uh, just leads to things like not feeling well, just not feeling yourself. But more serious ones are headache, dizziness, vomiting, seizures, of course. Uh, these can all be associated with concussions. Does it cause things like slurred of speech or just kind of making you say words that you don't think you're meaning to say? You might not notice that. The, That's who's true. Talking you wouldn't self-insight. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you, who's talking to you would notice. And that is one of the things we check for on the field or in the boxing ring to see if they're actually speaking normally and conversing normally. So what kind of sports are the most worrisome for head injuries or for, shall we say, concussions? Because we've already established it doesn't have to be your whole, just your head. It could be your whole body. What sports are, are the big worries right here? Well, I'm glad you asked because there's some interesting new stuff coming out of the high schools here in Hawaii. Um, but in Hawaii, for the younger kids, um, actually bicycling accidents are very commonly causing concussions. Um, but at the high school level, football is very common. But what's most interesting is in the last year or two, turns out women's judo was act- had a, actually a higher incidence than football. Women's judo? Yes. I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, it was very interesting. We're not sure why, but women in general do seem to have more concussions or at least report them more readily than the men do, than the boys do. Okay, interesting. So women's judo, what about, you know, you always hear about, and I don't know <clears throat> if we have a huge community like this here, <clears throat> but you hear about things like cheerleading, you know, and that this is an area where there could be concussions and we don't necessarily think of cheerleading as dangerous, but with some of the acrobatic maneuvers, this is kind of a big deal in certain situations. Yeah, cheerleading has a high incidence of concussions also. And uh, I was glad my daughter, when she was in cheer, was a base instead of one of the tumblers, you know, um, because the accidents would be much more severe and more common in the top person. Now, let's talk a little bit about how you can protect with some of these sports. So let's talk about women's judo. It's kind of unusual. They had a higher rate of concussions than expected. What could be done differently in judo that would limit that sort of concussion rate? I'm not very familiar with with judo as opposed to other types of martial arts. Is it a direct head injury that's going on? Is it just a body blow to the ground? How is it happening, and could we prevent it? Well, this is really interesting, too, because MMA is so big now, mixed martial arts with the jiu-jitsu and the judo moves. In fact, the uh, most famous MMA practitioner right now is probably Ronda Rousey, the first female to actually, uh, I think, get into the UFC. And she was a judo champion, an Olympian, and is doing quite well in MMA. But my concern is in Hawaii in judo, we're not sure why. It may be that women are more susceptible, and we're trying to understand that. But also, uh, our concern is maybe some of the girls are not getting trained early on, and they they don't know the techniques as well, and maybe that might lead them to fall incorrectly. Judo is it's very important to learn how to fall properly. But in competitive judo, the girls are off often trying to twist around and not get thrown. So if you get ipon, you're supposed to land on your back and slap your hand down, and it actually kind of absorbs some of the concussion. Um, But that often is enough to shake the brain a little bit and get a concussion anyway. So I think 
one way to prevent it is to be sure your your neck is strong, although some of the most recent studies even suggest that that's not as helpful as we hoped. Uh, be in good condition. Don't get tired, which means if your conditioning is up to the level of our athletes and our judoka here in Hawaii are some of the best in the country, if not the world, at the high school level, if, um, if you're in good enough condition that you don't get too tired, uh, maybe you won't get thrown as much. You won't hit as hard. You'll be able to protect yourself more. And also be sure you train early on. So even before high school, you should have some training so that when you're in high school, you're not just a beginner who decided to play judo because their girlfriend's in it, even though the girlfriend may have been doing it since she was in kindergarten and be a black belt and even a state or national champion. uh, It's hard to compete at that level if you didn't start early on. A lot of really good good points, you know, doing cross-training for endurance. That It may not just be doing a lot of judo. It might be doing the endurance activities to build up the muscle strength to do this for an hour, however long you're practicing with your class and with your group, and learning how to fall correctly. That's really important. I mean, I think for anybody learning how to fall, we see a lot of Hollywood stunts. We see a lot of things in movies. We think we know. And then when it really happens, it's such a quick event. There's such a reflex to it that... You know, if you haven't practiced this again and again and it's not your routine, you might not do well with it. And then the other thing you mentioned, learn it early. Don't go get on a team thinking, hey, I'll be fine. Everybody else is an expert. I'll just try from ground zero. Not so good. Tell me a little bit about soccer. We have a lot of soccer players here. This is a risk. Heading the ball, not so good, huh? Yeah, originally we thought it w- that heading was the main problem, and it probably is causing recurrent concussive blows that can lead to chronic traumatic encephalopathy or chronic brain damage. Um, but uh, the more we look at it, we do have a high incidence of concussions in Hawaii in our in our high schoolers, and I'm actually very concerned about the younger kids in private sport organizations. Um, but if uh, if you're heading the ball. And at the same time you get elbowed or get kicked in the head, you're more likely to get a more serious concussion. And, and uh, you know, these kids are, are playing really hard and accidents do happen. Uh, but there definitely is a high incidence of concussion in soccer. Is there any ethnic variation? I am not aware of one. I mean, um, we're such a melting pot. I'm kind of curious. Is it just in general people are out there really getting aggressive with soccer or is it just a certain a certain ethnic thing? It, it, you never know. Well, what's interesting is soccer was never the biggest thing in the United States, but recently soccer has taken off again. And one of the reasons is that football, American football, the participation rate is less than 50% of what it was five years ago. And that's because of this information you and I have been talking about over the last few years. Well, so certainly something to consider is being careful when you're playing heading the ball with soccer. I don't even know why. I mean, I guess on the professional level, it's still allowed, but it just doesn't seem like a good idea for growing brains. Yeah, it might be a good idea to limit heading uh, even through high school. You know, kids, their brains aren't fully developed. We used to think that the brain was pretty uh, fully developed, you know, even five, ten years old, but it turns out the more we learn, the brain isn't fully myelinated and isn't working, you know, perfectly until in your 20s, maybe even 25-year-olds. So if we consider 
high school and college kids to be children as far as brain development goes, we might be able to protect some of this development and allow it to continue. Sometimes, you know, I have five kids. Sometimes I wonder, what the heck were you thinking? What, you know, why would you do that? Well, kids aren't fully developed. Their brains work differently, and we have to give them time to actually develop, mature, to be a, a functioning, working brain. And that may be why, you know, car accidents are more common in the younger age groups and that kind of thing. So a brain that's not fully developed will lead to a brain that's getting damaged more just because of accidents and that kind of thing. So it's almost like by having the injuries, you could potentially have the damage that leads you to have that sense of invincibility and then having more injuries and you've exactly. started this whole entire cycle. And, and that happens in football, in, in men, where we think we're invincible and we're not paying attention to the injuries we're getting. And that's why we implemented in Hawaii a program where we're not allowing the kids to play after they've had a concussion uh, for at least seven days or more and uh, trying to allow time for it to heal because if you get another concussion before the first one is healed, that can lead to even worse problems. Well, and certainly we've seen, you know, the other studies that have come out looking at people here in Hawaii, children in Hawaii who have injuries, is looking at cognitive abilities and looking at their ability to pay attention and do well in school. And given the fact that school and education the majority of people who play these sports are not going to be pro players, so they're going to rely on their education to become future you know, career-oriented folks. They need their brains to work, and so if they're not doing well in school, this could affect school performance, could affect SATs, could affect college admissions. I mean, there's a huge amount of downward sequelae that can occur if They've had these chronic brain injuries. I mean, it's it's really serious. Yeah, every concussion slows down the brain, slows down development, may have some permanent sequelae. Probably a single mild concussion won't have a measurable permanent uh, result. But if you keep getting these even subconcussive blows, we're worried about now. In fact, I think I might have told you before, my daughter was an All-American wrestler. She got offered scholarships um, all over the country. And I actually talked her out of it um, because I, I said, you know, I understand that you want to play, but I'd rather pay for you learning things than damaging your brain constantly. I remember you telling me that thinking, boy, you just got yourself a second or third job helping with this. Well, she uh, actually has done very, very well. I'm very proud of her. But uh, I, I understand in Hawaii there's there, there are some problems. I mean, people spend most of their time trying to make money just to pay for their house. And they all want their kids to do well and go on to college, uh, you know, unless they have other plans. But college is very, very expensive. So a lot of families, a lot of parents are looking towards sports scholarships for their kids to go to college. And they, they have to weigh the risks and benefits there because, uh, you know, we talked about judo and professional wrestlers. They know how to fall. They, that's their whole life is, is performing, learning how to fall so they hurt themselves less. But they have a lot of brain damage from this. And they're one of the main uh, professional wrestlers, he actually came out of Harvard. He started the Brain Bank in Boston after he got a permanent headache from professional wrestling. And uh, he's one of the main players now in the brain banking and study of chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So even if you learn how to fall properly, if you keep hitting your head or keep shaking your head, 
you're going to end up with these chronic problems. Subconcussive blows seem to be as important, if not more important, than actual concussions with loss of consciousness. So the NFL has actually changed the way they practice now. This has been a real big deal. Uh, They are actually hitting less often during practice, so less contact practices. And actually in our high schools here in Hawaii, this is also being done. What I'd really like to do is be sure it's being done all the way down to the keiki level with the private organizations, Um, but I'm I'm not sure that uh, it's up to the level that we really would like it to be. And the reason that you're so worried about the keiki would be because they have these developing, growing brains. Yeah, and because they're too young to know the difference. Um, and these concussions can be more serious for the keiki because, again, they're developing. Every time they get a concussion, it's a stopgap on development. And until that cut concussion recovers and they don't always recover fully, you're just adding insult on top of insult, and they have problems in school. Sometimes with concussions, you actually have to modify their schooling to help them perform better. They might have to drop a class in order to continue on. Um, So there are ways of helping them through this. But if we can prevent these concussive injuries in the very young kids, the newest studies show that the chronic traumatic encephalopathy that we're so worried about now actually depends on how early you start your sport. That's, the, that's been a consistent finding since boxing did a study back in the 90s. And um, the, the only significant trend in boxing was for kids or, or um, boxers who started early on and suffered these repetitive concussions. And we now know that this is true in football and other sports also. So it was really having these early episodes that might have instigated a process in the brain that made them more susceptible that the next time they had an injury, they were now going to have a greater chance of having some sort of permanent problem from it. You know, it it makes me think back to when we learned in medical school, you know, there was a particular type of dementia. It was called dementia pugilista, and it was for boxers. When they were hitting their head a lot, we would see this particular characteristic type of memory and brain loss of function that over time we would recognize as people got older. So it's almost like we knew this was out there. We knew it was potential in the medical world. But until you got that bad, we really didn't have that way to know if there was some other sport or injury that was leading you in that direction. And, you know, as you mentioned, the NFL has really changed a lot. And I think their settlement with the players has a lot to do with that. But I also think that on their own side, they're trying to prevent players from having injuries because it only benefits them to have players that can continue to be affiliated with the sports and then also do well as they get older and when they retire, not say things that we've heard some players say like, I forgot my daughter's you know, birthday party because I can't remember being there. I think Brett Favre had come out right. and said something like that. And, you know, he's in his 40s. He's he's, you know, my age. And I'm thinking, wow, if Brett doesn't remember stuff, that's really scary. So certainly we've seen some players who have come out and kind of said things like, hey, you know what? I recognize there's a problem. It's nice to know that we're actually taking a look at this on a different level and saying, hey, we've got to make some changes. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Robert Sloan. And today we're talking about the dangers of concussions and what happens when these things occur in our youth 
in our cakey and also what are the consequences as people get older. We're going to talk some more about the NFL and what sort of changes they've made and why they've made them and discuss even some specific examples of folks who have recognized that they've had some issues. So it's certainly going to be a important topic and something we all need to pay attention to because it's these repetitive injuries that really can get us into some trouble as time goes on. All right, Dr. Sloan, so tell me a little bit. You've mentioned this term a couple of times, chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE. And this is, I don't want to say it's a newly defined diagnosis, but I think it's been recognized more recently and we hear these words much more frequently. What is CTE? Good question. Um, You know, you mentioned um, dementia pugilistica and before that we called it punch drunk. This was in the early 1900s. And then when we started to realize it wasn't just in boxers, that's why we decided we need to call it something else because dementia pugilistica was about pugilists and now we're finding it in many other sports. So chronic traumatic encephalopathy is the exact same disease process as what's called punch drunk or dementia pugilistica. And, um, it's uh, it's very interesting what we found out recently. It's obviously from chronic traumatic injuries to the brain, but what we didn't understand is what the actual disease process was in the brain, and now we're starting to understand that more. And also, what was it that caused people with this problem to get worse later in life? So there's a thing called the prion spread theory, which is very, very interesting, Prions are what we found in mad cow disease. It was the first time we found an infectious agent that wasn't a a bacterial cell or a virus. Yeah, it's a protein. Yeah, it's just a protein. So it was very, very interesting. Well, the guy that discovered prions is now invited to every concussion group meeting in the world because the tauopathy, the tau protein that gets tangled and misfolded and deposited in concussions is very, very similar to the prion protein that also gets misprocessed and and, um, and misfolded. The prion is actually a normal protein in our body, and so is tau. But in the prion disease, something causes the prion protein to actually coagulate and change structure, and that causes a lot of problems. The tau protein does the same thing. You actually find it in Alzheimer's, but in chronic traumatic encephalopathy, it's uniquely distributed. So it's a very different, unique injury that's traumatically induced. And we now know a little bit more about what causes it and how it actually causes the brain to deteriorate. But because the mad cow disease was known to get uh, to show up as a worse problem, years or decades down the line, now we're understanding why some of these uh, chronically concussed individuals who even have quit their sport, quit it at a very high level of play, didn't know that they had chronic brain damage, but 10, 20 years later, suddenly deteriorate like Junior Seau, for instance, and they will have problems with uh, depression, aggression, memory problems, things that they don't even understand until uh, this um, process had been better defined out of Boston University uh, and some other great neuropathologists in town. So now the information is available and we understand it more. We just got to find out how we can maybe prevent this or at least treat it when it happens. 
All right, something we definitely need to work on. We're going to come back in just a minute, talk more about it. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. I'm here with Dr. Robert Sloan. He is a physical medicine and rehabilitation expert and has a particular interest in concussions. When we come back, we're going to talk a little more about how to find out if CTE is something you need to be worried about, this chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and also how is it diagnosed and how does this affect how people even that you watch on TV, on NFL, Practice and play now. So we'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Robert Sloan, and we are recording a show that you're going to be listening to tonight, and it's basically discussing some of the latest information that's out there regarding concussions. Dr. Sloan has a special expertise in dealing with people who have had concussions and also how this affects them in the short term and also the long term. Now, before the break, we were talking a little bit about this term called chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And this really relates to a chronic process where you might have these acute injuries that occur, and over time, they change the actual brain structure. You can have different proteins that deposit in different areas of the brain. You can have the brain structure itself change. And if you look at it later, and we'll talk about the brain bank in just a minute, but if you look at it later, you find out that there actually are changes that are physically visible either to the naked eye or with the microscope. And you can see this occurring in the brain. And if there's a way to prevent it, that should really take major priority. So before we start talking about the NFL, I thought I would ask you, Dr. Sloan, do you have any thoughts on what's happening with some of the high school students that we're hearing about get involved in some sort of an injury and they're dying? Now, certainly not all of these are related to brain trauma, and there could be other reasons, but what's causing high schoolers playing football to die? Is it related to this head injury issue? Sometimes it is. There was a recent one, and it was most likely a um, spleen injury. Um, but there's something called um, second impact syndrome, which is probably actually better described as a multiple impact syndrome because we know now that they're getting sometimes 
a thousand to fifteen hundred impacts per season at twenty G forces and higher, just playing high school and college football. Um, these forces are enough to cause concussions every single time they're hit. Some of them are what we call subconcussive blows, which is probably a misnomer. They're still concussions; they just don't feel as bad as the other ones. Um, but uh, in in uh, this second impact syndrome, it's only found in kids in general. And the kids, again, are more susceptible than adults. So that's a very important thing to understand. It kind of proves the point of how delicate our children are. But if you continue to play while you're suffering the symptoms of a concussion, the symptoms are just the signs that your brain is still malfunctioning. There's a neurochemical uh, problem where things are not uh, working right on the chemical level, on the structural level, on the electrical level during this period. And if you get hit again, even with a light impact while you're recovering, the chances of this second impact syndrome goes way up. So that's the main reason we're trying to keep the kids out after a concussion because we've proven they've had one. We know if they have symptoms, their brain's still not working very well. And, of course, we can test that in other ways. Um, But if we send them back too early before their brain has recovered, they're more likely to get another impact four times as likely as the saying, and more likely to get something called uh, second impact syndrome, which is very rare, but still is very dangerous. And so this could be contributing to the reason why we're hearing about these sudden deaths that are occurring, not actually on the field, but maybe a day or two later, is that there could be some serious brain trauma And maybe that child went back into play. Maybe they were taken off the field, but without recognizing the seriousness of the injury, the effect on the brain could be just missed, and then there's something serious. And this may be more with, like, bleeding in the brain or something really dramatic, which is – it could cause symptoms of a concussion, but could also cause symptoms of major trauma, like, you know, brain massive bleeding or, or just not breathing or nausea, vomiting, really bad neurologic signs that shouldn't be ignored. Yeah, one of the most worrisome ones is from an epidural arterial bleed, which is high pressure. And uh, the kids will wake up from the concussion, but then appear fairly well. And if you don't watch them really close, they'll suddenly collapse and die on the field uh, from an epidural bleed. Um, The the ones you might be talking about would happen days later. Uh, Those are usually chronic venous low-pressure bleeds that, you know, usually are symptomatic. Um, and that should keep you off the field or, you know, whatever whatever uh, game you're participating in. I had a athlete actually recently, a football player that had at least two concussions on the field. I think the first one was missed, and then he had one that was obvious, and they pulled him out appropriately. But then the next day, he went surfing at Sandy Beach. Wow. Crashed into the sand. As you do at Sandy Beach. Yeah, and he had a much more severe injury that actually then kept him out for, you know, quite a long time when he otherwise might have been able to go back in a week or two. So it really is that second injury. If you don't realize it and you put yourself in that position again, major potential for trouble. Yes. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the chronic issues. So the acute injuries that we talked about, try and prevent them, avoid the contact, If you have symptoms, know enough to tell somebody if you're the athlete or as a parent, know enough to pull your child out because you don't want them to be re-injured and have troubles 
later in life. And I'm, I'm curious, as a parent, do you see that the parents are the ones that are saying, put Johnny back into play? Or is the coach saying, put Johnny back into play? I think the parents and the coaches both are doing that less now. Okay. Um, but it can be a problem. That's why we have the trainers there. And we're actually requiring the coaches at the high school level to all get training, specialized training in concussion care now to better understand the dangers of returning too early. The NFL, their rules now require them to not only stay out for a week, but to see two different doctors to be sure that one of them didn't miss something and uh, before they'll allow their players to go back. Okay, so let's talk about the NFL because there's a movie that's coming out sometime in December and it's sort of the tell-all that is going to discuss some of the issues that maybe have been known for a while related to brain trauma and also looking at these chronic issues where, you know, 5, 10, 20 years later, some of the players have reported having some serious issues. You know, we had Junior Seo, we've had other folks that have been very prominent in the news who have passed away and a lot of them have donated their brain to science to be studied to this brain bank because they kind of knew something was wrong, but they just couldn't put their finger on what it was. What is it that the NFL is doing now and in response to what have we learned? The NFL has changed the rules. Um, they're uh, making it a little harder to get hit so hard by running less far. Um, there was some thinking that they may actually change the uh, – uh, post-touchdown kickoff and actually have the um, the team that actually made the play that, that had the touchdown actually take the ball on their own 30, for instance, and then decide re- whether to run or punt. And um, that would, of course, decrease the length of the running field and the impact forces, hopefully. Uh, although um, I think that the human body can get up to full impact speed within, you know, 20 or 30 yards, but I'm not sure about that. But that kind of uh, thinking can help a lot. Decreasing the impacts during practice seems to be helping, um, and again, preventing them from going back too early. So they're making these great changes. Why? Well, I think they didn't appreciate, would be one way to say it, the uh, significance of these brain injuries. And this movie that you mentioned is going to bring this out again. Frontline had a big two-hour show about it just last year, or maybe it was a little bit uh, further ago. But it was about these doctors out of Boston University who have been studying the chronic traumatic encephalopathy and had a hard time getting the NFL to believe them. And... uh, Dr. Bennett Omalu, who I think Will Smith is playing in the upcoming movie, was the initial guy who actually found what he thought was a very unique presentation of this tauopathy brain damage in Mike Webster, um, uh, who was a pretty famous football player. Um, But after finding it in him and a few other players, he wasn't able to get the NFL to believe that these injuries were truly from concussions. And there was some bad research being done that was used against the uh, what's become obvious now that these concussions do lead to chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is a progressive neurodegenerative disease that's very serious, so serious that it can destroy your life, so serious it can cause suicide. And um, 
so the NFL now has been forced to take this more seriously, and they have changed the way they look at it and how they study it. They've actually even donated monies to do better studies and that kind of thing. It kind of reminds me of just in my mind, I have this image of the heads of some of the tobacco companies testifying, saying, no, our product is does not cause cancer and it's not addictive. And then fast forwarding a few years when the proof is now irrefutable. And now they're saying, well, we're going to give some education money towards people helping them to quit. And yet, in fact, it was their very product that they stood up and said, no, this isn't causing these problems that they've kind of had to reverse because medical science has shown that they were wrong in the assumption that they made. And in some cases, there there can be all sorts of conspiracy theories about research and how it's done. But it sounds like the guy who originally discovered it really found the beginnings of this whole issue and this whole movement to take a closer look at what's happening. Now, there have also been some financial penalties that have been given to the NFL, and they have to put money towards care for some of their players with the thought that, They knew there was a problem. They didn't do anything about it. They didn't protect the players. And all of the previous players could potentially receive a settlement financially or their families would because of the judgment. But it doesn't necessarily cover current players. Is that because the idea is, well, now we know you should know better. Don't do that. We'll change the rules. If it happens, it happens. I think that was some of the thinking. You know, the the settlement actually wasn't uh, accepted by the judge initially. It was, uh, I think, $765 million, but the judge said that wasn't enough. And so the decision has to be made. I don't think they're actually going back and covering – historically all the players that may have had this problem, but they do want to cover um, the players and families who have been suffering. And uh, I think it would be appropriate, of course, to cover people who continue to play, but you have to somehow limit, you know, the expenses and at some point um, either decrease the incidence or have people take responsibility. You know, the thinking was is that a lot of these players didn't understand that con- how serious concussions were. They were encouraged to continue to play, even by some of the doctors for the NFL, and um, that caused them to have further damage. And so now, if everybody's educated, and that would be from the NFL all the way down to our young Keiki, uh, we can better understand the risks and then make Make better decisions. But again, I think we need to protect the keiki because the parents aren't always making the decision that would protect the child in, in sports that cause serious brain damage. And since the child is too young to protect themselves, we need to probably have some way of at least having a concussion protocol at the, um, you know, the younger kids, private sports level and that kind of thing. We have uh, made some progress, but we still have quite a ways to go. So it sounds like really with the NFL situation and the the documentary that's going to come, which I think is just like the Frontline episode, it's really going to shed light on this topic. There's there's certainly a recognition and acceptance that, okay, this is what we've got. Repetitive head injuries, repetitive concussions could put you at risk for these other medical concerns, including chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which includes, as you mentioned, depression, aggression, memory issues, etc. So now we know. So at this point, if you choose to participate in this sport, You can't say you didn't know. We just told you, you know. 
And if you choose to do, continue to do it, that's of your own accord. We'll try and make it a little bit safer. I don't think anybody would watch our NFL players playing flag football where nobody can, nobody actually, you know, attacks or uh, tackles another person. I don't think that would fly. Um, but certainly they're trying to make it safer. You know, it's curious. I was talking to one of my colleagues who has a young child, about 11 or 12, and he's a neurosurgeon. And he said to me, you know, I think it would actually be safer if they took all the padding off. And I went, wow, okay. They didn't wear helmets. How is that safer? And he said something very interesting. He said, if you look at the ways in which some of the NFL players or other semi-professional players um, are doing the game, because they have so much padding, they often may not realize exactly how hard they're hitting another person or they're getting hit because of some of the padding. There is an absorption of some of those blows. If we knew that there was no padding, maybe we wouldn't hit so hard. And coming from a neurosurgeon, I got to tell you, I was kind of surprised about that. Yeah. But, you know, it was an interesting idea. Do we overpad our players and make them unable to recognize when they're hitting really hard? Well, as the players get bigger and as we increase the padding, they definitely are hitting harder, and that's definitely causing more concussions. There was a movement in boxing some years ago to limit helmets and boxing gloves. we got to remember helmets don't stop concussions. And so even at the amateur boxing level now, they don't require helmets or headgear for the international competitions. It doesn't actually prevent concussions. Um, and Let's review that for a moment, though, because I think people may not understand that. Wearing a helmet doesn't prevent a concussion. As, and even though the NFL and some helmet uh, makers have called their helmets concussion reduction systems, and there's actually a new one being developed now that's going to limit rotational forces, which are very important in concussions, that may actually be better than prior helmets. But no helmets have ever been shown to decrease or, I say, to prevent concussions. What they prevent is more major head trauma, fractures, and you know, brain bleeds, hopefully, and that kind of thing. Even, even helmets for bicycles and motorcycles don't actually prevent concussions. They prevent the more serious injuries. They're very important to wear, but we don't want to have kids wearing helmets that allow them to think they can keep banging each other and that they're not going to get concussions. They're actually going to probably get more concussions the more padding and the more impact that they have. So what he said was really true. Yes. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Robert Sloan. He is a physical medicine and rehabilitation expert. He is working at St. Luke's Clinic at Ala Moana, and he is a member of the University of Hawaii Department of Medicine and an assistant clinical professor. When we come right back, we're going to talk some more about the other issues that have been coming to light with the concerns about concussion and how we can really work on trying to prevent that, not just in those of us who play sports, but also in you know just society at large when we look at what sports we watch, what sports we get aggressive and support, and how that might affect the players as well. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us.
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Robert Sloan. He is a physical medicine and rehabilitation expert and particular interest in concussions, preventing them, treating them when necessary, and also helping to make sure that we all understand the seriousness of this. Now, we've talked a little bit about this upcoming movie that's talked about this chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and you were just sharing with me some of the statistics that are pretty amazing. How many... Looking at, I would imagine, autopsies and looking at the brains of these people who have played football for a lot of their lives, how many of them have actually had findings of this chronic traumatic encephalopathy, these physical brain changes, when they've looked at them in a lab? Well, remember, these are the ones who have passed away, and so it's a little bit skewed, but 96% of the deceased NFL players that were studied had chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So out of those that had their brain looked at, 96%. Yes. And was there a high percentage in all football players? Well, the the symptoms and the signs are found in up to 80%, 79-80%. So now you've mentioned that the school boards of a lot of different schools have now decided to remove football from the curriculum And in fact, that's one of the things that the NFL might be worried about. You know, if you don't have any players coming up in the ranks, who's going to be playing for the NFL? It it seems like, you know, this was sort of something we heard whispered about a few years back. Hey, there could be a problem. And then there were some more incidents. And it's not just people who have passed away, but, you know, you've mentioned that aggressive behavior can also occur. And that also has been manifested in several different players of all different spectrums, whether it be spousal abuse, animal abuse, you know, child abuse, all these sorts of things. What are some of the consequences of CTE in players? Well, I can't diagnose it in this particular event, but uh, recently a New York Jets quarterback, Geno Smith, uh, was hospitalized with a jaw fracture when he was cold-cocked, sucker-punched by his own team linebacker in the locker room. Um, That kind of thing seems to be occurring a little bit more often. At least it's getting advertised. Jovan Belcher um, in... uh, end of 2012 killed his girlfriend and then himself in front of his general manager and coach he was found after that to have chronic traumatic encephalopathy so the the symptoms while you're alive lead people to have um impulsive behaviors irritability they lose their tempers and you know we do see that in uh, in other conditions also, um, and I'm not saying that everybody has this. In fact, where we suspect there might be a 15, 20 percent of athletes who are actually more prone to get the chronic traumatic encephalopathy than others. Uh, we are finding that tauopathy protein deposits in younger and younger kids, but that remember that the chronic traumatic encephalopathy usually shows up a little later and and is much worse as these tau proteins seem to spread almost like a disease process. They'll actually spread and infiltrate normal tissue that wasn't damaged later in life. That's what's really scary. So while you're trying to recover from your your life of sports, and you should be able to be settling down and, you know, have a good life. Your brain is deteriorating right behind your very eyes. And, uh, and wow. you literally 
you start having problems you don't really understand. You don't know why you're, you know, blowing up, why you're depressed, why your memory is going. But now we understand this a little bit better. What can we do about it? And somebody who might be exhibiting some of these behaviors who decides, okay, maybe I need to leave the sport. Is there anything they can do to help their brain heal if they've started down this path of CTE? We're working on that, but nothing yet seems to, you know, if we could, uh, if we could decrease the tau protein deposition or decrease the spread, they're working on that now. Um, they're working even, you know, because Alzheimer's is such a big concern and it is related. And in fact, you're more likely to get Alzheimer's if you get tra- chronic traumatic encephalopathy or chronic concussions. But there's that amyloid deposition with Alzheimer's that's not very common in traumatic brain injury. Um, but they are working on that too. So, so researchers uh, in Alzheimer's and in brain injury are working hard now um, there is a little bit of a concern because there's money to be made here. So we're seeing things being promoted that then don't seem to turn out to be as good as we had hoped. Um, That includes diagnostic uh, techniques uh, to diagnose the concussion all the way to treating and preventing the spread of the chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So they're actually trying to sell products or diagnostic tools that we just haven't seen clinically to really be relevant and make a difference. Yes. So there was this uh, hopeful eye test uh, for sideline concussion testing called the King-Devic test that came out. And uh, we had a lot of hope for that. Um, The the usefulness uh, may not be as good as we had hoped, but what we're finding is some of the research that's coming out, the research is actually authored by people who own the company that make the product. That, and so, uh, unfortunately, we're not sure yet. That's what science is all about, though. You've got to kind of weigh all the issues. Now, every scientific paper, every talk, people have to say whether they have a vested interest in the company or the product that they're promoting to help doctors doctors understand that. Um, But uh, there are some things, you know, biomarkers and and treatments, uh, auto antibody treatments where we may be able to actually stop the infiltration of the brain. The blood-brain barrier actually prevents some of these things. So we have to take all that into account. So we're really at the beginning phases of identifying the disease process and then from there trying to develop some sort of therapeutic intervention. Exactly. It's like where we were with Alzheimer's 20 years ago. Yes. And we've gotten further, but we certainly haven't found a true way to cure it. And we also haven't found a really accurate way to diagnose it other than based on high clinical suspicion. There's some new tests that they're looking at. There's, like you mentioned, biomarkers, and they're trying to do markers of protein deposition in the brain. And actually, it's kind of interesting, because I think with the field of Alzheimer's, there is a little bit of a debate as to whether or not it's tau proteins or amyloid plaques, or is it a combination of both, and which one, if you were to be able to remove it, would be more effective as far as treatment options are concerned or even diagnostic options. So there's a lot to learn. It looks like we've just almost diagnosed a new problem or discovered a new problem and now have to work from the ground up to try and figure out how to deal with this and handle it. Exactly. But it really starts with don't hit your head. Exactly. A bunch of times. Right. Do you think this will really change how maybe the NFL 
promotes their sport or even down to the high school level, down to the cakey level. Are we going to see sort of a mass wave of change? Are we in the midst of that now? I think we're already in the midst of that. As I said, uh, the actual participation in high school football is down by about 50%. So the ability to pull players up into college and and the NFL uh, seems to be decreasing. That could actually lead to lower quality play and it could actually lead to more injuries. Uh, you know, there's. It's interesting if you think about all the different possibilities. Well, and you mentioned for the judo that if you learn how to play, you learn how to play well, you learn how to fall, you learn all those things early, you're less likely to join a team that's super experienced and get injured because you've got the experience. If you wind up having a potential lower level of playing and yet there's still a couple of standouts, then you might still have that increased risk of injury again. Yes. There's there's a lot that's going on in the field. Where should we be headed next? When you think of what you do on a day-to-day basis and dealing with people who have already had the results of the trauma, where should research head next? Where do you envision us in the next 10 years? Well, I think we do have to look at treatment um, because even if there weren't any more concussions in sport, we're still going to have them with bicycles and with car accidents and that kind of thing. Um, I think we we need to really concentrate on prevention. Um, you know, many schools across the nation now are dropping football and uh, from their programs altogether. And, and some of it is because of this. Some of it is what you were hinting at, that if there's less players available, you're not going to be able to make a good team. Oh, and that brings to mind another issue. Um, one thing we should do is not let players play both offense and defense on, at the that? same game because they're going to be injured more often. They're going to be playing. They're not going to have a chance to rest and um, and recover from any minor impacts that they're experiencing. And it has been shown that players that play both sides actually do have increased concussions and probably chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So it's really more game time because they're playing both sides. Yeah, that was shown in boxing. I, I think uh, I may, may have missed that point that the practice – in boxing, for instance, and in football, leads to chronic concussions and chronic brain damage. So you actually have to limit that. It's a little easier to limit that in football because you can work on fundamentals, you can work on conditioning, um, you can work on catching and throwing the ball. And uh, that it's kind hard of thing. in boxing when the goal is to actually punch somebody. Right. How do you eliminate that? Well, work the bag more. Um, you know, instead of each other, definitely limit hits to the head. And um, that kind of thing. So we should be looking forward within the next few years at better diagnostics, figuring out how to start treatment, and realizing that with all those people, even if there there were minimal concussions tomorrow of every sport or every activity, we've still got this chronic issue that's going to come up. And as long as we have people who have had chronic injuries, they could potentially have these sequelae later in life that would lead them to have these brain difficulties. And, and I think the other, the other interesting point that you've mentioned is that there may not be a lot of insight. You know something's wrong. You don't know what it is. You know you're acting out and, and, and you're doing things that don't make sense. And some of the people in response to some of their, some of their atrocious behaviors and variety of different sports, but it seems to be happening a lot in NFL players, they've kind of said, well, I didn't know what I was doing. I don't know what happened. I snapped. 
and something happened and I regret it. And there's a part of them that recognizes that there was an activity they shouldn't have done. But it's like they just don't feel like they have the self-control. And in some cases, they really may not. I mean, it certainly sounds like the more we understand about CTE, the more we realize we don't understand enough about the behavior implications of CTE. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're deteriorated to the point, um, you know, where you're not able to even think clearly anymore, it would be hard to have insight. But a lot of the players are hearing this. And so education is extremely important. Get the word out. And they're understanding, oh, my goodness, no wonder I've been having this problem. No wonder I had a divorce. No wonder I couldn't keep my job and that kind of thing. Um, No wonder I'm not doing well and I'm a famous pro football player. (laughs) You know, why aren't I doing well? Now they have something to hold on to to blame it on. And that's where this uh, concussion settlement came through the NFL also, um, the Players Association. And I think uh, 4,000 players actually signed up for that NFL settlement. And uh, I'm not sure it's actually completed yet because, as I said, the judge was still trying to decide. Um, But it's interesting that uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy actually may not get the most money Uh, For instance, ALS and that kind of thing might actually get a higher payment. I think uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, which I should mention, is now associated with chronic traumatic encephalopathy. We never understood why people got it and what was causing it, and there is an association with these impacts, um, an extension from the brain damage down into the the lateral roots and that kind of thing, the motor units. But um, the... uh, Settlement was uh, $5 million, I think, to for a player who was suffering from this to compensate them for their losses and maybe their family too. And then each different illness got a different amount of money. And the uh, the judge decided that there were enough players who were currently involved and maybe future involved that that wasn't enough money for the NFL to have set aside for this. Pretty amazing. Now, if people if people are concerned, if they're local here in the islands and they want to find a way to to reach you, to see you, to have their children or, or adults be assessed, how can they do that? Where can they find you? They can just call my office um, at St. Luke's Hospital. At, I mean, St. Luke's Clinic at the top of the Alamoana building. Um, you gave me a card. Sure. I've got the number because... Maybe you had some concussions and you don't remember it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nine nine four five three seven one nine. That's area code eight oh eight nine four five thirty seven nineteen. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. A lot of great information. I'm looking forward to the movie. I think this is really gonna be helpful for everyone to understand more. So thanks for being on. Thank you very much. All right, our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You can hear this show again on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. We will see you next week live on The Body Show. See you then.